Welcome to episode two of Creative Chit Chat with me, Ryan McLeod. This is a little bonus episode that I'm throwing out this week because I managed to fit in another chat with an artist again from Neon Digital Arts Festival. Uh, it's just a little quick 20 minute chat about his work and it'll also give you the opportunity to go and see that work in person over the weekend if you're in Dundee and you've got time. So his name is Charles Young and his project is called Paper Home. I'd highly recommend before you even listen to the podcast, go on to his website to have a look at his work and it'll really put the, the podcast content into into context for you. And that's paperhome.com, so P-A-P-E-R-H-O-L-M.com or the link will be in the show notes. If you want to find out more about the festival and the other artists that are on, you can go to northofnortheast.com which is the Neon Digital Arts Festival website and all the details, locations, artists and everything are up there already. So before I get on with the podcast uh, there's just one other thing to note is that we did this interview really short notice. We ended up having to do it in a massive space in the Vision Building with a bunch of Echo and Charles has this really delicate, soft voice so I've tried my best to get the audio quality up on this one but it's not perfect. Um, for sure so I apologise for that but I think it's definitely worth getting it out there because it's a really nice insight into the, the wonderful work that he creates so here is episode 2 with Charles Young so the, the first piece of work started was that two years ago? so the Paper Home project started yeah. in August 2014 and it started as a daily project initially just to make, make, make me make something every day um, and it developed into creating this um, landscape, cityscape. Um, it's now an archipelago of um, six islands um, but initially it was just a way of um, making work every day by having that um, routine of sitting down and designing something straight onto the paper, cutting it out and uh, putting it together and then um, photographing it and archiving it. It wasn't financially driven, it wasn't project driven, it was just self-improvement driven? Yes, yes, so it was for me to start with and the first year of the project was entirely just just for me um, and it was only after the first year had finished that it turned into more of a more of a project where I was able to carry on with it through the funding from New Media Scotland. Um, so I made 365 pieces of work in the first year and then over the last year I've made another 270. Um, yeah, so they're now 635. Wow, so a lot Which of make up a couple of those, uh, those islands. And so you, you came from a, an architecture degree and then a master's in which you obviously created a lot of, of models. Yes, uh, it's where my interest in making models really came from. It was during the architecture degree, it was the thing that I liked to do the most and it was the way that I designed was through models and through making models and that the designs developed in the model making rather than in drawing or in anything else like that and in actually making physical models rather than computer generated models. I found that the process of making became part of the designing and I would find solutions by just trying to make it myself in three dimensions. And the, so it's, it's a watercolour paper that you use, and is that a, 
Is that a specific thing that you've used before and enjoyed using and brought that into the project? It was something I used to make um, small-scale city plan models before. Uh, really, it was what I had to hand as something which was a fast medium to work in and something that's versatile. So throughout the entire duration of the project, it's been the same kind of, exactly the same kind of paper that's been used throughout, so that ties it all together. But it's turned partly into a material material test as well, where I've been able to see what I can do with that one material and without diverse, diverging from just the single kind of paper. I can see the way that it uh, it bends and the way it cuts and the way it folds. And um, I'm able to, I've been able to push it and see how, how far it can go with those different uh, techniques. So how is your process changed and evolved and developed? You really see the way that practicing something every day makes you better and improves your skills. And it's nice to have a sequence of how many hundred pieces that I can effectively line up or go through the archive and view um, chronological order where I can see the way that it's become more complex. Um, even if the designs and the complexity of the designs hasn't changed so much in the two years, it's clear that the ways of making have become more refined and more complicated. Um, to start with, I was using, when I was trying to get a turning motion, I was using little dressmaking pins to mount different pieces so they can spin counter to others. But more recently, I've moved into just using paper and using a leather punch to make tiny circles of paper that I can layer up and sandwich between other pieces and get a turning motion in that way. Um, so really, it's, yes, it is a, a process of, of learning and uh, developing over the time. I look at your work as a very specific aesthetic and it, it makes me wonder the environment in which you create that and, and I'd sort of imagine it as a, a really quiet sort of early morning just as the sun comes up you sitting in this tranquil room creating but how is that creation process and, and what's the environment like that you do that within? It's within, within my studio um, I sit down at the desk and start to make something and normally it's a single sitting where I sit down and start and don't stop myself from getting up if I if I need to in between. But um, it's a single process where it is the first thing that I try and do in the working day is to get that done as a almost a journal exercise or a meditation kind of thing. Um, um, so is that a very peaceful, quiet environment? Yes, but but I don't think that it needs to be. I, I don't I don't find the need to be in silence when I'm working, even in, in the quiet. Key thing really is having a clear idea of what I'm going to make. And if I have a clear idea, I can make something quickly and um, that comes together as a whole piece. Whereas if I sit down not really knowing what I'm making, then it sometimes comes out slightly more bizarre. And um, that's when the more unusual shapes and forms come out. That's when I'm not really sure what I'm doing. From looking at the a lot of the pieces, there's, there's definite themes that, that run through, mm. like um, sort of carnival-esque, and then the, the slightly more surreal ones, I think you were sort of 
describing there. And you talked about if you have a solid idea. So where do those where do those ideas come from, and how do they develop? It's from anything that I see, and I've I'm mostly making the project in Edinburgh, where I'm based. But it's because of the daily nature of it. I've carried on doing it when I've been in other places as well. So sometimes it's in uh, in the West Midlands, and sometimes it's been in Dresden in Germany um, over the years. I think that the environment that I'm in really affects the ideas that come to me. So I notice um, familiar shapes and forms from buildings from in, in Dresden and in other places that come out in the work. So they have a, a sort of basis in a, in a real world object? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So I don't try and replicate a real thing or try and copy an existing building, but quite often there are elements from real things that come into it. The initial project was 365 days. Uh, were there any days where you got up and thought, nah, I can't be bothered, I don't have time, I'm just yeah, I'm really not into this anymore, I've committed to this and want to pull out again? I think fairly early on I was um, maybe regretting trying to do something every day. But when it got to a certain point, I knew I would feel terrible if I didn't keep up and didn't make something. So there were times when it was later, late at night when I'd not been able to make anything during the day. And it was the last thing I did in the day was um, putting together something very simple, like a little cabin or something, um, just to be able to carry on and um, keep the continuity. Mm. And I think that now um, I've got to the point where I need to think about where it goes next. From 635, it leaves a full year project, another 365 to take it up to a thousand models. But I'm not sure there's any particular meaning in having a certain number. But um, I'm not sure how I would feel about it if I just stopped. And when I've have seen interviews and you talking about your work, you refer to each piece as their number. Mm -hmm. So you, you never give them names. Or talk about them as the form, it's, it's always as the number, is there some reason for It's that? partly ease of um, working out what I'm speaking about, because there are so many of them by this point. They are archived and they're numbered, and that is the way that I think about them, although I, I don't know their numbers by heart. There are some that stick out because I know it was the last one or the first one in a certain sequence that was made. So I would recognise the last of the first year project and the first one of the second year projects, and therefore would know what number they were. But um, it's partly because it's it's more like a diary or an archive, so it's an easy way of referring to a specific day. Looking at the sort of the span of, of your work over the two years, it seems that animation dropped its way in and it started to become more and more of a feature and the style as well as the style of the animation makes it feel quite magical mm -hmm. and, and is that is that a deliberate aesthetic? It's partly it partly comes just from the scale of the pieces and the the way you're able to move them because um, they're so small mm -hmm. um, you have something about the stop motion animation where everything feels fast and sped up in that small scale um, 
but it, it's really a way of giving life to the pieces which they wouldn't be able to have otherwise um, they're too small to motorize or put mechanisms in really so it's using gif animation allows them a life beyond what they are as just an object and uh, it allows the whole kind of cityscape to have its own life online and in a total geeky way i'm quite interested in how you how that process works how you create that stop animation it's based on just taking still photographs I've got better at keeping the camera still over the two years. Um, I wasn't very good at that to start with, so quite jumpy. Um, but uh, it's a process that's developed and um, taking still the still photographs and importing them as Photoshop layers um, and then animating those um, by taking the layers and making them into frames. Um, something I've only learned to do quite recently is taking a lot of information out of the frames to make the whole file size smaller. Because that's been something that's limited the way that I've designed the animations is the fact that I can only upload a two megabyte file. So that limits the number of frames that I can include. Is that the, is that the Twitter limit? It's the Tumblr. Tumblr. Tumblr limit. So the archive is based on Tumblr. Um, but it limits it's quite good because it limits what you can do with it um, but more recently i've learned how to take out information from the frames having a, a fixed background behind and having the movement in front of that i can take out all the other information which is duplicated through the layers um, and that was something i didn't know how to do to start with but just by doing it uh, every few every couple of days i've been trying to make a, an animation um, you learn those tricks and you learn smoother ways of doing, doing things. I keep coming back to this 365 days, yeah. but um, I know that's just the first portion of the project. When I look at my work in retrospect and I go back and see it, I often cringe. <laughs> yeah, I have that sense of dread and like, oh, and see that the, the stuff that's closer to me now is, is much better and much greater quality. But with your work, I feel there's such a consistency across the board and such a simplicity in what you do that there doesn't seem to be, to me anyway, there doesn't seem to be a massive difference. Mm -hmm. um, but what's your feeling when you look back across the sort of the range of pieces from the start? To the I like being able to see the way I have improved and the way that I've been able to introduce more complexity. The very first models um, don't have any cutout windows. They're quite simple block forms um, as that quite quickly as that developed I ended up with more cutouts and I think that over the last year there's not that much difference I haven't I can't see the same kind of difference in the work the same kind of improvement that maybe I saw through the first year of the project but laying them all out together there's a certain looseness about the earlier earlier ones. I think it's partly the way that the bases are not just square rectangular pieces of wood but are more irregular so pieces with bark still on the outside or stones and things like that. I think that that was that encouraged me to be more loose and maybe a bit freer in what I was making 
I feel that maybe now, looking at those pieces from the last months, they are stiffer. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not, but um, it's good to have them all laid out for the first time because they've never been assembled as as the islands before. Just as a way of seeing those, because when you view them online on the archive, you're seeing a string of pieces where you're never seeing more than nine or twelve at a time. Mm-hmm. But by being able to look at the whole thing all at once, you do see those contrasts um, uh, in the work. But I don't, I don't see a lot of difference in the design over the years. I think that's been quite fairly consistent um, as long as I've been able to think of ideas. And it's been more recently devising mechanisms for movements and things that have uh, been the drivers of um, what I've been making and being able to be more complex in the GIF animations has encouraged me to do things that I wasn't doing before. Things like little roller coasters and um, longer movements, more complex movements of vehicles around the pieces, which is only possible by really reducing the size of the but having that constraint is really useful because otherwise it would be too much freedom, I think, mm-hmm. if you could have an unlimited size of file. But um, having that constraint is really, yeah, is really useful. So I'm interested to know about the, the islands and the, the structure of them and how easy was it to group your pieces together? The actual islands are laid out in their sets of days. So there's an island of 365 and an island of 35, 50, 65, 80, and 35 again. Um, so those separations were already there in the groupings when I was actually making them. But it was assembling them together, which was the difficult part, especially the largest island. Took quite a long time just trying to work out where things could go next to each other and what kind of shape the whole island would be, um, because it was never planned as different pieces having their correct place, and the assembly of the whole piece is more of an improvisation, kind of in the same way as each the making of each piece is an improvisation. Mm. What's the biggest difficulty in your practice? Mm. In within the project, it's and I suppose in general, it's having a clear idea and knowing what to make. And once I'm making, I can just do it. I can just carry on. Um, but it's when I when I don't know what I'm making is that I find that I can't do anything. Um, but once I have that clear clearness, clarity. in what is going to come out of what I'm working on is when I'm able just to work. And obviously you studied architecture. This is not a standard path No a person doing that. What, what led you in this direction? It was really the freedom of being able to make whatever I wanted. Um, I felt like if I went straight into the next stage of qualifying as an architect, I would be limited in 
the amount of making I'm actually able to do. And what I really like doing is making things rather than necessarily just designing things. So it was a way of um, allowing myself to follow that and spend all my time making, um, which really led me into what I'm doing at the moment. But that doesn't mean that I won't go back to architecture at some point. So what's next for you? <laughs> I don't know really. Um, I need to think about whether and when I continue this project. I think I'd like to, but I don't know when it would be a good time to start another year. Um, but beyond that, I'm making other other work, larger work as well. And uh, yes, pursuing other methods of making. Um, I think I've not necessarily mastered the paper, but um, I feel like I'm coming to the end of what I can creatively pursue with just paper and um, work I've made more recently I've used more wood veneers and uh, wooden elements to make other scale scale down pieces but using other methods and using materials and tools that are more suited to the piece that I really want to make rather than letting the material uh, determine what is I just want to take you back to what you said previously that you don't know what's next because um, I think that's true of a lot of people and they maybe have a plan but that might not necessarily come into action but I think it's how you how you frame that and how you deal with that and that's is I don't know for you exciting or is it a scary prospect <laughs> I think I would like to know a bit further in advance than I do but at the same time having the freedom and the um, that uh, not knowing gives me where I can go away next week I could go and do something else and uh, yeah there's, there's, there would, but there would be something nice it would be, it would be something nice to have more of a um, long term uh, fixed thing to work on. Your work's had a, a lot of coverage and um, been featured in a lot of places and, and you document everything sort of online on your Tumblr and mm. Twitter and Instagram. I'm just wondering how you use social media and what it sort of means to you. Really it's it's mostly been just the way of documenting what I'm doing and it's documentary practice rather than necessarily trying to broadcast what I'm doing and the vast majority of what I've put online has been purely documenting the work that I've made um, so most of the how many there are because there are group images as well there's approaching 700 images that I've produced over the last two years and really that's what I like to focus on is on just showing the work that's being that has been made, um, rather than necessarily having an expectation of it being um, consumed through some of those channels, mm -hmm. um, especially on the Tumblr. That that's the that's the basis. That's the 
uh, platform that the archive and the city lives on, and that really that's more important than necessarily it being spread around, is that it does exist online, and that there is a central place where it lives. So if people do want to go and find your work, where will they go? Uh, paperhome.com is the best place to look at it, P-A-P-E-R-H-O-L-M.com. Okay, great, thanks very much. Thank you. And that was Charles Young. Thanks to him for coming on the podcast at short notice. I hope you enjoyed the little bonus episode thrown in there. And I would really encourage you to get along and see his work if you can in person. If not, definitely go and check out his website, uh, check out his Tumblr and Instagram as well. It's well worth a worth a visit. So that's it for episode two. Uh, episode three will be coming out on Wednesday. Um, there'll be a little teaser around about who to expect and what the content will be uh, going out on Monday on Twitter and on Instagram. So follow us there and that's at CCC Dundee. So until Wednesday, goodbye.